Asia Pacific Currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the ah、oh, the fifteenth, I think. Oh no, it's all right. Don't、uh, yes, listener, I am going to continue to try and say the date every Saturday morning and get it wrong. Good morning, it's Giselle. This is Asia Pacific Currents, and this is Pierre. And but don't worry、right. about the, Pierre. You know. <laughs> Um, thanks for tuning in. We're taking you through to nine thirty this morning,、uh, just to tell you what we've got on the show and actually what we don't have on the show. A big thank you to Annie and Kim of Solidarity Breakfast for a wonderful show, and also for gifting me a particular piece of audio from the Marxism Conference that, by the way, is running this weekend in Melbourne. If you're interested in getting along, it's at the VCA College、um, on St Kilda Road in Melbourne. And you can purchase tickets as you walk in if you haven't already got one. But we were going to play some audio of an Indian comrade, Dapanka, who、uh, gave a talk yesterday at the conference. But of course, Pierre, non-consultative Pierre as he is, has、uh, arranged alternative. Audio for the show this morning, and unfortunately, because I am subjugated to him as a man, had to do what he said. <laughs> That's very well put. And I know, I know, I know. I've prepared that one all night. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs>、um, so thank you,、um, comrades.、Um, before we do get into it,、um, the music that you were listening was "Anticipation" by Delta Five, and the,、uh, the interview that we are bringing you、um, at about quarter past, actually probably at fourteen past、uh, nine o'clock, because it is fifteen minutes long, is、um, with Joe Dar, who is a spokesperson for the Syria Freedom. Forever and a left activist on the events, recent event in Syria and the、uh, prospects for the popular uprising in Syria at the moment. And of course, if you like to know what you hear,、uh, this、uh, program is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links every week on 3CR Radio. And、um, Giselle, all those、uh, contact. Uh, details, please. That's right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's dot a a w l dot org dot au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us there. Our、uh, our tagline is a a w l. Shouldn't be too hard to find. You can ring us on nine double six three seven two double seven. You can also email us at a a w l at a a w l. That's all very easy to remember. But now we'll go straight to our news roundup for the week, and、um, I think you're leading off. You're the leader this、uh, week, Giselle. Yes, it was the least you could do, Pierre. Thank you. <laughs> in Indonesia, last Sunday, workers participating in a weekly protest were baton charged and violently dispersed by police. These workers were holding a regular protest as part of a long-running dispute. In 2012, over a thousand women workers were summarily dismissed by the Victory Chinglung、uh, Indonesia and Panarab Industry Companies. These workers were producing for the sports companies Adidas and Mizuno. They were never paid the wages they were owed or any severance pay. Unfortunately, this isn't the first time that a company's closed down without paying their workers. 
And um, we now go to um, nearby Malaysia, where a new climate of fear is developing in Malaysia with a spate of recent abductions and disappearances of social activists like Raymond Kaur and Peter Chong. While in the past, government critics critics had to face repressive laws like the Internal Security Act and the Sedition Act, political abductions are a new feature of Malaysian politics. While the perpetrators are still unknown, it is most likely that these disappearances are linked to the increasing desperation of the government to hang on to power amid unprecedented popular opposition. A public meeting in Melbourne uh, will discuss the ramifications of this abduction, I think, next week. I think next weekend on the 22nd. But I don't have the details around me, but if you go to our website tomorrow, you'll, you'll find out. In Thailand, the announcement this week by the Thai military junta warning the population not to follow three social commentators on social media is a sign of the increasing determination by the generals to hold on to power. All three commentators are critics of the military dictatorship. Worryingly, killings by security activists of perceived enemies continues to occur in a climate of impunity. In the meantime, imprisoned labour activist Somyot Pruksakasem Suk has been able to finish his studies and obtain his political science degree. We are still raising the three demands free all political prisoners in Thailand, abolish Article 112 of the Criminal Code and end the military dictatorship. And could the last bit be seen as a bit of a positive news, the fact that... Uh, sort of. Somyot you know what? These issues of prison reform and what prisoners are... Of, it's a, I mean, absolutely, it's a good thing for Somyot, but I think the biggest issue with Somyot is the fact that he's been locked up for 11 years because he uh, was the editor. He didn't even author the articles yes. for which um, he's, he's serving the time. That's right. Yes, it'd be better if he was out of jail. Yes, totally agree. <laughs> um, all right, we'll go next door to Myanmar. Well, this is a good uh, news bit um, story. Uh, this week, workers employed at the Mason Bakery Factory in Yangon's Hinglang Saria Township won an important victory after a month-long strike. In early March, the company summarily dismissed 184 workers, including its union activists. Through strong solidarity from local workers and support from the International Union of Food Workers, the RUF, all, of, all workers were offered their jobs back. Negotiations are still continuing over the remaining four workers, all union activists who are still to get their job back, but the union has said they will make sure they will be um, re-employed as well. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> In India, earlier this month, around a 1,000 workers at Apollo, a major tyre producing company operating in the industrial belt of the southern city of Chennai, went on strike for the right to form a union and to improve their wages and conditions. The local government quickly intervened to declare the auto sector as part of, essential, a, part, as a part of the essential sector and declared the strike illegal. This latest strike is another indication of the growing willingness to fight by the new Indian industrial class, notwithstanding the vicious repression unleashed by the state against Maruti Suzuki and the pre-coal workers. And um, I'll just remind listeners, we've now uploaded the uh, entire Maruti Suzuki interview to a SoundCloud file, which you can access through our website. The 
original interview is about an hour and 10 minutes long, which is obviously why we didn't play it on the show. But it details the entire history of the dispute from 2009, actually, um, all the way to 2017 with the handing down of those sentences. And, uh, and the story really is still continuing, isn't it? Um, we go now to um, Kazakhstan, where the Kazakhstan oil workers are again under attack. The deputy chairperson of the Confederation of Independent Trade Unions of Kazakhstan, Nurbek Kushabayev, was recently sentenced to two and a half years in prison. Nubek's alleged crime was to have called for a strike at the oil construction company. Due to the importance of the oil sector to the economy of the Central Asian country of Kazakhstan, this is not the first time that oil workers have faced similar government repression. And in 2011, um, a long strike by them was um, um, severely repressed um, by by the government. And in Turkey, uh, Sunday the 16th, that's tomorrow, is when Turks will vote on a national referendum. I think the region is on the edge of their seat in relation to this um, referendum vote. Um, So this is a referendum on the constitution to grant the president more power. The referendum is being held in a tense climate with a state of emergency still in place. This has placed enormous pressure on the campaigners for a no vote, with the government monopolising the media. In the last few days, officials from the ruling AKP party have threatened workers with dismissal or the withdrawal of social services if they don't support the referendum. And yeah, we have been noticing that repression has been quite dire and in fact people, no vote campaigners have been targeted. That's right. And I've actually um, heard something, uh, an interesting commentary, whether or not it will be interesting that the the issue is that um, if Erdogan really wants to win the referendum quite well. But then the issue then becomes for him is that uh, he then can't blame anyone else for any trouble because he'll have almost absolute power. So we shall see tomorrow or early next week. Anyway, the last item is May Day. Uh, May Day is coming up. Uh, has, it has been celebrated internationally since 1886 as the day for workers to unite as a class. Capitalists and governments are killing us in our workplaces, in our communities. Workers need to stop the politics of austerity and war. So marching solidarity workers in struggle everywhere. Rallies and demonstrations will occur all around the world in Melbourne. Um, the uh, May Day Rally will be at 1pm Sunday the 7th of May outside Trades Hall. There will also be a um, reading of international statements and a rally on Monday the 1st of May at half past 5pm commencing at the State Library. There is another action on the 1st of May. So at 12 o'clock at the 8-hour monument, the um, ASF, the Anarcho-Syndicalist Federation, I think they're a federation, um, has its, uh, its a 30-year year tradition, um, 12 o'clock at the 8-hour monument on the 1st of March. Fantastic. So a whole series of events. And that's uh, all that we've got for the um, news roundup. We'll go to a couple of community announcements and then we'll be back with um, the interview with Jodar on Syria. We want to hear from you. Our station is all about serving the community and we want to know your thoughts, comments and ideas to help shape our future. We're currently asking listeners to take part in a short online survey that will help us get to know you better and understand what you want from your local radio service. The results of this survey will assist us in continuing to be the best possible station we can be in service of our valued community. To have your voice heard, head to our website and fill out the survey.
3CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. It's just on 12 past 9 o'clock here on Asia Pacific Currents on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. As I mentioned at the start of the of the program, um, earlier this week I managed to uh, talk to Joseph Daho, who's the editor of the Syria Freedom Forever blog on the internet, a uh, social commentator on Syria and a left activist. And um, we chatted about uh, the latest events in Syria and also the prospects for the popular uprising in uh, in Syria. Why do you think the Assad government undertook a chemical attack on the town or the region of Khan Shai Khan instead of just a so-called routine barrel bomb and extensive bombing of the area? I think there are two main reasons for this. Firstly, uh, the regime has seen that he has been completely able to use chemical attacks even following the Ruta uh, chemical attacks in the summer of 2013 that killed more than a thousand uh, civilians. Uh, Just to remind everyone, since then, and even though there were an agreement between the US and Russia to destroy chemical weapons within Syria, there have been more than 160 chemical attacks in Syria, until the latest chemical attack in Khan Sheikhoun a couple of days ago. And actually, according to one um, human rights institute in Syria, a new uh, use of chemical attacks have been made in uh, the Damascus province in Kabun last weekend. So the regime has been feeling that it can act in complete impunity. Secondly, chemical attacks are the best weapon to instill fear among the people. It's to instill fear of not being able to do anything against this kind of attacks. And it's not a surprise that it's being used in uh, the region of Idlib, where you had new people coming in uh, from other areas because of the forced displacement of regime uh, army uh, against other or used to be opposition liberated areas. In terms of of the response, not many people were expecting that the U.S. would actually do anything. So what do you think were the objective of the U.S. government when they bombed the Sharat Air Base? First, I think uh, we have to say that this response has been very much uh, overrated in many aspects. I would just like to remind that when Trump uh, administration decided to bomb uh, this military base, Sherat, a military camp, a military base, before the operation, announced to the Russian officials that it was going to bomb. And you had uh, people on the ground saying that the Syrian uh, army was able to withdraw any kind of uh, equipments uh, from uh, the bases before uh, the bombing. And to, to show you the kind of limited scale of these bombings, 
24 hours after the, the bombings, the military base was used by uh, Assad warplanes to bomb uh, new areas. This said, it has to be understood in a way of saying to Trump, serving obviously uh, internal and external uh, political uh, objectives. But regarding Syria, it does not change uh, the strategy regarding the country. In other words, concentrating on the war on terror, the so-called war on terror, meaning targeting Daesh, uh, showing uh, to Iran and to, to limit the influence of Iran, but it does not change its position regarding the Assad regime by maintaining it with or without Assad at its head. And uh, you had repeated uh, declarations of U.S. officials going into this direction. And actually, I think it's today the head of U.S. foreign affairs is in Moscow uh, to discuss with uh, Russian officials. To take up that point of the limited um, strike and li very limited potential, the civil war, the war, the popular uprising, call it whatever, it's now in its seventh year and it, it's caused massive amount of deaths and injury and refugees from Syria. What is the current political military situation in Syria right now? The current situation is continuing to be very bad on many aspects, whether being politically, but more above all on a humanitarian perspective. Uh, as a reminder, more than half of the population of Syria is displaced or internally or externally. Uh, you have more than five to six millions of refugees outside of Syria, which is around one fourth of the, a bit more than one fourth of the population. Huge amounts of destructions. And this is why it's really important to struggle in favor of the end of the war. The war only benefits the various counter-revolutionary forces, whether being the Assad regime and its allies, being Russia, Iran, Hezbollah, and various other uh, Shia fundamentalist forces, or on the other side, Sunni Islamic fundamentalist forces dominating certain regions of deliberated areas, such as uh, not the liberated areas, but dominating the military confrontation with the Assad regime, such as uh, Jabhat al-Nusra, Daesh, Ahrar al-Sham, Jesh al-Islam, which have differences, but do have a reactionary political program that can not be inclusive for uh, the Syrian uh, people in general. So we have to say that today the Assad regime has is dominating on the military scene, because of the assistance given by Iran and Russia, whereas the opposition, uh, armed opposition group are still lacking any kind of help, especially what is left of the umbrella organization of the Free Syrian Army. So it's very important today stop the war, stop the killing. Uh, in the same time, it does not mean that we accept the re-legitimacy of the Assad regime that is uh, uh, happening on the international political scene. We have to refuse it and uh, Assad is the biggest criminal in Syria and should be condemned for his crimes. You mentioned the forces of the, of the original popular uprising and we'll uh, get to them in a second. But just uh, to examine a, a bit more about the role of some of the local regional powers, you already mentioned Iran and they're certainly involved. But how do you see 
the, the tensions and also the dynamics of countries like Egypt, Turkey and Saudi Arabia in the conflict. Today, the various regional forces have an agreement that the war has to stop, but the way to reach it is completely different, definitely, and all intervene, whether regional or international actors, against the interest of the Syrian people and the initial objectives of the uprising for democracy, social justice and equality. Iran is still pushing very much for a complete annihilation of the opposition, while at the same time Russia is more pragmatic on this issue, seeking agreements with uh, some sections of the opposition while maintaining the Assad regime as it is, and still supporting it very much. So you have tactical differences between uh, Russia and Iran on on the military scene. Uh, when it comes to, for example, Turkey, Turkey saw maybe an opportunity with uh, the U.S. bombardment of the military base that occurred last week, asking for a no-fly zone in the the border region with Turkey. But it saw very fast that there was no change in position in the U.S. uh, administration. So, And they were very much unhappy with the continuing support uh, provided by uh, Washington to the Kurdish-led forces of the Syrian Democratic Forces, uh, controlled and dominated by uh, the Syrian PKK, uh, PYD, and its armed branch, uh, EPG, that is seen by Ankara and Erdogan as a terrorist organization. So, And they're mostly concentrating today to stabilize Turkey, the AKP government, to maintain its authority and government, as the upcoming referendum uh, is showing it. While Saudi Arabia and Qatar has diminished their support to the various opposition armed groups and seeking to find a solution in which they cannot lose too much and to limit the influence of Iran. So far we've talked about the various reactionary powers, but the popular movement in Syria was real. It has struggled incredibly strong but it's very weak at the moment under constant bombardment. Where do you see the road ahead for the popular movement in Syria? No, indeed. Again, as you said, it's very weak today and it will get weaker with the continuation of the war and the bombardments, etc. So this is why, again, it's very important to ask for the stop of the war, to demand the stop the war, stop the killing. But, you know, in some areas, even though it might be dominated by armed opposition forces that are reactionary, such as Ahrar al-Sham and Jabhat al-Nusra, there are uh, contradictions at the lowest level in the cities, in villages, where you have civilians organizing against these armed opposition forces, such as in Idlib or in the province of Idlib or the province of Aleppo. You had many demonstrations coming out against these kinds of forces, And you had an an elected uh, civilian council in Idlib in the month of January that was uh, established, uh, whereas most of the opposition armed forces, such as Ahrar al-Sham, Jabhat al-Nusra, were given the orders to be based outside of the city for activists and uh, civilian local council to be able to organize. So you have also contradictions on the field, and these are things that we have to look at and to support in favor, obviously, of the... Uh, democratic components of the popular movement. 
But if the, the war continued, the bombardment, it prevents them from organizing. And we've seen every time you have even a partial ceasefire, the ability to people to organize is back in the streets. People are back in the streets and demonstrating. So we are in a very difficult situation. But the, the political experiences that have been accumulated these past few years will not disappear. And we have to count on this for maintaining alive the, the spirit of the revolution. On that vein, as a last question, keeping the spirit alive and keeping some of that energy and experiences that has been learned, it's certainly something that uh, both regionally and internationally, the solidarity movement has not really grown over these years and there's there are many splits or many indecisions. There's actually a very strong pro-Assad forces out outside. Why do you think, even in the face of six years of this catastrophe, the international solidarity movement, whether in regional countries or even in wider internationally, has not grown to consolidate and actually become quite a, a strong ally to the popular resistance in Syria? I think there are various reasons for this. First of all, we are in a period of um, very harsh counter-revolutions in, in the region, which uh, with the advances of authoritarian regime on one side and on, of Islamic fundamentalist forces on the other. So not pushing for confidence w- whether within the region of the Middle East and North Africa or, with, or outside of it. Rather seeking, you know, kind of so-called realistic solution that only will bring more bad things in the future. And what I mean is that at the beginning of 2011, when you had this this huge uprising, huge demonstrations in Tunis, Egypt, Syria, Bahrain, and other countries, you had the confidence of the people within the region, outside of it, booming, rising. This is how you had the Occupy movement, the, the uh, throughout the world, in Spain, etc. So you had the opportunity at this period, as I remember, to build you know, the links of solidarity, not only with the Syrian revolution, but with the uprisings uh, in general. Today, we are very much, as I said, in a counter-revolution period, and we, see, we can see this confidence has completely disappeared, this confidence of people being able, from below, to change a political system. So this is one reason, the lack of confidence of people being able to change their own society, their own organization. Secondly, uh, historically, you had sections of the left that uh, unfortunately sided with authoritarian regimes or uh, with the crushing of popular movements from the Sovietic Union, I mean, crushing various uprisings in Eastern Europe to Afghanistan in 1979, etc., and the difficulty has been to find a left that is independent both from authoritarian regimes and, if you want, from the various counter-revolution forces, being Islamic fundamentalist forces on one side, or uh, imperialist forces as well. So this is the main issue. And to base a solidarity on the emancipation of people, on believing that change from below is our road or our principle, this is very important, or always stand with people in struggle and not with authoritarian regime. And this, unfortunately, has not been the case, whether regionally or internationally, in the solidarity movement. 
I think they're, they're very wise words there, they're Joe, and, it, and it's certainly something that the labour movement and uh, the anti-war movement around the world can certainly take up. And like you said, it's a continual struggle and we will just have to work harder to be in solidarity with our sisters and brothers everywhere. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Piero. Thank you very much. We want to hear from you. Our station is all about serving the community and we want to know your thoughts, comments and ideas to help shape our future. We're currently asking listeners to take part in a short online survey that will help us get to know you better and understand what you want from your local radio service. The results of this survey will assist us in continuing to be the best possible station we can be in service of our valued community. To have your voice heard, head to our website and fill out the survey. And we're at the end of another program of Asia-Pacific Currency. We're listening to an interview that we did earlier this week with Joseph Daher. I think, Giselle, you've uh, corrected me a couple of times there from uh, Syria Freedom Forever and a left activist on uh, on Syria. And um, do fill in that survey for um, we do want to hear what you like or don't like about us here on 3CR Radio. But that's all that we've got for you today. We'll be back next week with more commentary about the Labour um, uh, movement in the region. And we'll both be going to the Marxist conference later on. And where, where can you find that, uh, Giselle? That's right. Get to the VCA on St Kilda Road in Melbourne if you want to attend the Marxism conference today. And um, stay tuned to 3CR Radio, to Palestine Remember straight after this. And my name is Pierre Morrow. And I'm Giselle Hanna, and we'll see you next Saturday from 9 o'clock. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.